I'm Dr. Jill Wiener. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice, to provide a nuanced, honest, and educational examination of systemic racism. I have someone with me here today who's a bit of a departure from my typical interviews that I've been doing. This is Greg Schisla. Greg and I met, I think it was actually, it was a little over a year ago. It was in March maybe of 2019 and I went on this anti-racism retreat, which I'll talk a little bit more about, I guess, as we go through the interview, but um, about like 10 white people came together in um, Highlands, North Carolina for a weekend to learn more about anti-racism and and um, create projects and and plan for ways that we could be better allies and partners um, in the fight against racism. So Greg is, I'm going to just share it now. I haven't, I haven't let you talk yet, Greg, and I'm sorry, but before we went on the interview, before we went on the retreat, we had a Zoom, and I've never told you this, Greg, we had a Zoom call, and I looked at everyone, and I judged a lot of people, because I was like, who are these people I'm going on this retreat with? And and like you had this super Southern accent and I was like, oh, he's this Southern guy. Like, who is he going to be? And I ended up going on this retreat and you're like one of the smartest people I know. And it's super, super well-read, so knowledgeable about anti-racism, so passionate about it. And your story is so compelling, which is why I have you here to be interviewed today. It taught me so much about my tendency to judge other people for who I think they might be or who, what I think they might think or believe or whatever. And that somehow thinking I'm better than them for that, which I, you know, <laughs> It's not a not a uh, easy thing to admit, but you know when we got on the retreat, these people were like the loveliest people I've ever met. And obviously, if you're going on a retreat about racism, you're going to be um, have your heart in the right place. So anyway, Greg, thank you for you know being well beyond anything I could have imagined and proving me wrong in my in my judgment and othering. And please tell my lovely audience a little bit about yourself and um, what got you into the anti-racism game. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, I'm not Southern by birth. <laughs> I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, um, in a uh, integrated neighborhood, actually a neighborhood that was integrated, and then white flight happened, and uh, it, it went the other way. It was segregated and mostly black. Um, so I, I wasn't raised in an all-white environment. I wasn't raised with racist beliefs. Uh, at least I wasn't aware that I was. You know, right. now looking back, I see that not particularly my core family, but a lot of my extended family, um, who I no longer talk to, <laughs> have some serious racism issues. Um, went to school in Indiana and moved to Atlanta after graduation. So I've been in the South since 1985. Lived in Atlanta for 27 years and uh, in 2003, we bought some property in the mountains for a little weekend getaway. We ended up building a home here, my wife and I. And so for the last eight years, I've been in Murphy, North Carolina. Um, shortly after moving here, I started becoming more aware of these issues and racism and whiteness. Um, and some, some ways kind of feel stuck where I'm at now. Um, because it's not, I'm not in a place where I can uh, really influence a lot. Um, 
but but this is where I am. So uh, most of the time and most of what I do is using social media, uh, mostly to learn mm -hmm. uh, and to learn from people who I don't have access uh, to in my daily life, mostly black women and, and men, but mostly black women um, on Twitter is, is my primary teaching tool. And I use Facebook and, and Twitter to try and, and add my voice uh, to, to try and make a little bit of a difference. So um, that's what, you know, and it's been a progression through the years. Obviously, I think I really, when I moved to North Carolina, I had the impression moving from Georgia that North Carolina was one of the more progressive Southern states. And then in 2010, it, it flipped GOP. And, you know, and I started seeing some of the same things being done here that, that, that were already being done in other states. Uh, that got me riled up. My first real involvement was uh, going to Winston-Salem for a Moral Monday March with Reverend William Barber mm -hmm. uh, when the voting rights uh, case was, was put before the federal court there. Uh, and that was kind of when I really, really got more into it. And then obviously, uh, 2015, the election of 2016 happened. Um, and that really ramped things up. And then, you know, my wife got ill, was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer and passed away. And so I, at that point, her biggest regret was working so hard and saving all this money and never getting to enjoy it. And I decided that wasn't going to happen to me. So I retired early. And since then, I've had a lot of time and I've spent a lot of it reading, studying, and, and just trying to better understand the madness that is whiteness and, and to try and figure out what I might be able to do uh, to help dismantle it. So awesome and it's such a powerful story i didn't realize that you weren't from north carolina i thought that you had had grown up there so i'm, I'm glad that we're having this chance to talk even more because craig and i haven't seen each other since since uh march of 2019. so what what does anti-racism mean to you and i'm not looking for like a definition necessarily a, a scholarly definition but what does it mean for you in your life well you know i don't i'm not fighting racism I feel like my, my view of it is I'm fighting whiteness, right? Because whiteness is more, it's racism is a primary tool, but it's, it's much more than that. Um, and, and what, you know, what really struck me in my, in my reading and, and, you know, when I first got started, uh, you know, Bob and D'Angelo's uh, white fragility, white papers, what really opened my eyes and got me more curious. Uh, but one of the first books I read was was Birth of a White Nation, uh, their creation, of, and the subtitle is The Creation of White People and Its Relevance Today. The, uh, our, uh, Jacqueline uh, Batalora is the author, but she documents and goes back into history in our colonial days and, and documents the creation of whiteness because it's, it's a social construct. Mm -hmm. it, it's not a real thing. I mean, I remember as a child being taught it was a real thing, you know, mongoloid, negroid, caucasoid, there's three types of humans, all that, you know, pseudoscience that was created to try and justify whiteness. Um, but, but it really opened my eyes to, to the fact that, the, that all of this is just a social construct that was created by people, people with power and money um, to keep 
masses from from joining together to fight for their rights. Mm -hmm. And 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 the the poison of whiteness doesn't just affect black people. You know, yes, it oppresses them, but it oppresses ourselves, and it holds us all back. So so I I I use the word whiteness because first of all, we you know we don't like white people in general don't can see themselves as part of the group. And we've got to get over that. We can't address the problem until we address what that problem is. Um, And and so, you know, what really struck me was, wow, you know, we just created this out of thin air to divide people and control people. And here we are 400 years later, and it is literally being used for the same way. Yeah. I, I live in a very rural area. It's very poor here. Economically, the people that live here have more in common with the poor blacks down in Atlanta than they do with with the rich people. But they align themselves with the rich people because of this social construct called whiteness, when they actually have nothing in common. Mm-hmm. But but they cling to that and and that that idea that they're somehow better because of that keeps keeps us all from working together and, and creating a better world. So, so I just, my goal is to deconstruct the, the idea of whiteness that we created. Um, and, 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 and as a result of that, you know, obviously the tools of it that are being used also go away. Yeah. So that's the best answer. I'm so glad I asked you that question. You don't, cause it, it's, it's not like we hate white people. I mean, I, I, I just, you know, I, but, but for people to understand that there is a difference between Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. It doesn't mean we want non-Black people to die. It just means that society treats people differently in a different way. And by society, I mean society run by white people. And it's it's a very, you recommended a book to me, Dying of Whiteness. I believe that was you that recommended right. that to me. And that was like really, really intense. But also sort of disheartening because like people aren't going to let what what do you think we can do can you talk about that book a little bit and and um do you have any ideas on what would make people let go like with their like dying claws you know like clenched upon this idea of whiteness yeah health insurance yeah that that book is very eye-opening and basically this this man is a doctor and a statistician and he had spent time living in Missouri, Kansas, and Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So those were his models. And he looked at gun laws in Missouri, the unwillingness to expand healthcare access in Tennessee, and low taxes in Kansas. And he documented in Missouri how Missouri used to have gun laws very similar to Connecticut 10, 20 years ago. And they have consistently loosened their gun laws. Um, while Connecticut did not. And so he looked at things like deaths by gunshots, mostly suicides, and suicide rates among mostly white males in Missouri over time, using Connecticut as the baseline because they started from the same place. And then he used the statistics to document how many life days have been lost because of these changes in gun laws in Missouri. Um, he did the same in Tennessee with the unwillingness to expand Medicaid. 
I mean, he literally interviews a guy that is dying of liver disease. That stuck with me too. The man yeah. literally says, I would rather die than any of my money go to help a black person. Uh, so, so they are choosing death over community with other humans. It's mind boggling. And then Kansas, it was they, they, their low tax experiment, and he documented how they went from ninth in the country in education to some 40 something. And then he documents how lower education outcomes result in lower lifespans. And, and so he uses his, his medical background and statistics to literally document how these policies which can only be explained via racism and, and an unwillingness to share with others are actually killing white people. And, and COVID, I mean, every day, look what, oh my gosh. Um, so, so now, I mean, my, my only hope, or one of the things that I would hope would come out of this is a lot of people that have been unwilling to see it. You gotta work really hard to stay willingly ignorant of this mm -hmm. with what's going on, right? It, it, it's real, it's staring you in the face. A lot of this stuff is pretty subtle and you really gotta look for it. Um, this, is, this is in your face, it, it's almost genocide what we're seeing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's an article yesterday in the Washington Post on Avalon, I don't know if you saw it, but mm -hmm. they, they did a story on Avalon reopening. And, and these people are like, it's nothing. And nobody's got a mask on. They're walking around. These two women were like, this is living. You know, you got to live. I'm like, yeah, shopping, that's living. But, but they were interviewing this, these two guys. And one, here's a quote. He says, this man says, when you start seeing where the cases are coming from and the demographics, I'm not worried. That's, that's whiteness. That's white privilege, wealth privilege. And it's sick, and 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 it just shows a, a complete lack of concern for anybody other than themselves, even other white people. It, it's you know it, it's individualism taken to extreme. Right, right. And and so you know I I don't it, it's it's mind-boggling to me, and I do hope that one thing that this this pandemic will do will 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 help other people see that. And maybe bring some more people on board. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that's a really good point. And and like with Ahmed Arbery, like white people getting mad and going for a run and taking a picture of themselves going for a run is cool, you know. But but then it's like back to business as usual. And I'm just as guilty of it, you know, like I'm doing a series of interviews and I have like an online course that I've done and whatever, but like, I'm still like living my white life the way I want to, you know what I mean? So, but like yeah. to have that outrage about, about things that are happening and then be like, okay, cool. Check off, check off the box. Like I've done all the things I need to do to be a good white person moving on. Um, there's this whole other like deep level of, of knowledge and awareness that I think most white people don't have, even though they think they do. I thought I did. I didn't know. I was unaware until I was, it was called out by someone. I didn't want to hear it. And it was really, really painful for me, but, um, but that was the beginning for me. So I, I think 
Yeah, I, I think maybe the answer is getting more white people to be aware and not necessarily the people that are so, so, so against, but, but the, the moderate slash well-intending liberal white people, we are the ones that need to know and we're the ones that need to be talking about it more. What, what was your like aha moment? Do you have like a, a like a, the moment where you became woke? Like what, was there a moment you can point to or, or something that you saw that flipped something in your mind from being like a regular well-intended person? Well, you know, I think somebody, I saw, I saw something the other day, somebody mentioned how white people, how we're raised to be race neutral, right? I've been a liberal. I, I, I voted for Reagan when I was 21. You know, by the time Clinton came along, I was, I've been a Democrat ever since. I've considered myself a liberal for 30 years. Um, but I didn't, I didn't understand race. I, you know, um, and, and I was becoming more aware and learning. But honestly, um, when I found uh, White Fragility, I just reread it this morning, you know, kind of to refresh my memory. Um, it, it was like getting punched in the gut. It, it's hard to read. But I'm like, yeah, that's me. Um, but but it really that that really opened my eyes and got me digging deeper. And, and it made me understand that that I didn't know half of what I thought I did, and there was there was a lot more to learn. Yeah. Um, and the one thing that just strikes me is when I try and have these conversations with people, white fragility is incredibly prevalent and strong. I mean, people I love hang, have hung up on me just to avoid having conversations. Mm -hmm. the, the, and they tell me they don't want to talk about it, and I don't let it go. And, and I, I got hung up on by, by my brother. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, and, and it's, it's, and, you know, I love it. You know, you start, you, you say something about white to, to a white person, and you're the racist. I mean, I literally got called a racist by a white woman. So I got, I, apparently I'm racist against white people because I acknowledge that we are a group <laughs> and that, that we, we, we do things with whiteness and we need to acknowledge that, own it, and fix it. And just yeah. even talking about it makes me the racist. I'm playing the race card. Um, and, and that's classic deflection. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to deal with it. Um, and I get it. I sometimes wish I could put my white glasses back on and not see it. Right, right, right. Life was a lot easier. I didn't have to, to, to bite off family members. I have good friends, you know. I, me, I had a guy here in Murphy. Me and him were a team, Farmer G and Hillbilly, you know. We hung out for years. I, I don't talk to the man anymore. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and so I've had to make decisions and, and lose friends over that. It's not. It's not easy. But it, I once I saw it, I mean, I, you can't ignore it. Yeah. I, mean, I guess you can. I can't. Right. 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 Yeah. It's so. Easy. So I I have to deal with that. But I now know things I didn't know, and it changes. It changes everything. What and, and not really necessarily for the better. I would like to make it better, but but right now it's 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 just it's it's what I see is not positive. Right, right. So I guess two two questions. The first question is, what made you decide to read White Fragility? Because even the thought, yes, the book was the aha moment, but what 
led you to read that? Can you remember that? Because that I think is important. Somebody uh, on Twitter uh, pointed me to it. Okay. Um, and I believe that was probably part of the conversation where I jumped into a conversation. Greg, you're, you're cutting out a little bit. Your, your volume just got real low. I don't. You okay, said sorry, is that better? Yeah, that's much better. Yeah. Um, I jumped into a thread of some women and I did the not all men thing. Mm. And, and that was, that was really an aha moment, right? Cause I got called out and, and they, they, they called me out and they pointed to some things that I needed to research. And I believe it was part of that process that, well, you know, where I also, I ran into, ran into the white fragility, white figure. So. Awesome. I love those women for calling you out. It's so powerful. I got called out too and it helped me. So, um, okay. So that was question one was what made you read that? And then my other question is what do you, because it's, it's very eye-opening and it can be very upsetting to learn about one's own role. Um, and where, where I was kind of going with, with the, the outrage about, about, you know, black men, unarmed black men getting shot. It's like, we pretend that it's not us, you know, like that's other types of white people that do that. It's not us. I obviously don't go out and hunt and kill black people or anybody, but it's that sense of those are other types of people that are causing this problem and not me. So it's very uncomfortable to have that realization. And my whole approach to anti-racism for, for me personally, and what I'm trying to do to help people realize it is dealing with those uncomfortable emotions. But how is it, how do you, how do you deal with that discomfort? How do you recommend people continue to search and grow despite that discomfort or maybe because of that discomfort? Um, and, and like, how can you convince someone to like, take on this knowledge that is very uncomfortable when they could just stay in their unhappy place? It's kind of a random question. And I just, well, no, it's not. And that that's the challenge, right? I yeah. mean, how, how do you get people to see what they don't want to see? Um, and I don't, you know, my, I, I don't know. I've had a, a, a few successes. Most people turn me off, um, and, and they run and hide and protect themselves. So how do you, how to break through that wall is the big challenge. Yeah. Um, the one thing, you know, it, it's the whole MLK, you know, the silent moderate liberal, right? Science is compliance. Yeah. And, and, and by not, by not saying something, I mean, you may sit there and see, you know, sit at home and see your TV and see that story about Ahmed Arbery and yeah, you feel bad, but then you don't do anything with that. Um, because digging deeper is not comfortable. And you, you know, sit in judgment of other people for that. You don't, it's not yeah. just not doing anything. It's like actively being like, oh God, those people. So different, well, from, it, you know? That's, that's, that's one of the things, you know, that, that we as white people are taught that racism is an individual thing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. As long as you're not a bigot, you're not a part of the problem. And that's, that's not true. If you accept the system the way it is, and you don't fight a unjust system based on whiteness, then yeah, you're supporting whiteness. You're, you're not helping dismantle it. You're, you're, you're comfortable in your privilege and you won't challenge that. Mm -hmm. um, but, but that is the challenge. People, it's a very uncomfortable thing. When I have these conversations and somebody is willing to listen, the first thing I tell them is you're gonna be uncomfortable. 
you, you need to be comfortable with your discomfort. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's a lot to ask of people. Um, but, but if you can't do that, you can't, you can't do the work. You can't, you can't be a part of the solution if you won't acknowledge the problem. So I haven't, I don't, I don't, I don't have an answer yet. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's so difficult and each person is different that that wall uh, is, is higher with some people than others. Some people, you know, are seeking, you know, and they ask me questions. Other people, I kind of got to broke it, and that, that's harder, you know. If somebody brings it up, I've literally had people, you know, ask me more or delve into it. They've joined my Facebook group. I've got a little Facebook group uh, called Can We Talk About Race, you know. And, and so people have reached out there and asked for things to read uh, and things. Uh, so those people are, you know, they're open. It's trying to get the people who who aren't really seeking an answer mm-hmm. to get them to listen to the answer. Right. Um, and and a lot of times, like I said, a lot of times that that they'll shut you down. And and you know you can only help those that are willing, right? Welcome to the story of my life. <laughs> I'm a meditation teacher, so I get enough of like stop proselyt. You know, like you don't want to seem like you're proselytizing to people. And then now with with you know, racism stuff, that's like, if anything's more touchy than spirituality with people is race, I feel like. Um, so yeah, it's very, very tough. Um, I love that you mentioned your, t- talk more about the not all men comment that you said, like, like, what do you, talk about that in the broader context of, of how that can be a problem. Well, it's, it's not all, not all way people. I did it, not all men. It was women complaining about you know, misogyny, and which is just as prevalent as racism, and it's just a bigger part of whiteness. You know, that's why I don't talk just about racism. Whiteness implies patriarchy too. Mm-hmm. We're a patriarchal society. We were created by rich white men. They were the only when they wrote the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the only people that really existed were rich white men. Um, so the whole not all, and, and a lot of things when you're talking about whiteness, you, you don't get not all men. It's not all white people. And it's and it's people, well-meaning people, but they they see a conversation uh, about something, and their initial reaction is to say, "That's not me." And that's it's a very selfish response, and it and and they 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 don't see it as harmful, but it is because what you're saying is. I'm not going to talk about the issue you're talking about. I'm going to talk about me and I'm going to absolve myself as being a part of the problem. Therefore, I'm going to absolve myself of needing to be a part of the solution. So it, it is actually harmful as a weak person to say, I'm not a bigot as a response to an example of whiteness at work. Mm-hmm. You're, 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 you're not addressing the issue, you're making it about you, and you're, you're acting as if it isn't an issue because you're not actively participating. But by actively not participating, you're participating. Mm-hmm. And by like inserting yourself into this conversation that no one has asked you to insert yourself into, yep. you're essentially like discrediting whatever it is that they're talking about or, or feeling. 
exactly. Wow. Yeah, 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 you're saying what your, your, your topic's not, I'm more important than what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. so. What are some, what's some, so I've, I've heard some, some specific things about like, if you're a white person, you want to learn more about racism. Here's some ways to go about that on social media. But what are some, what's some advice you would offer white people in black spaces, particularly in, in social media? Um, how to behave, what, what to look for, what to, what to do, what to not do, um, how to learn and grow from it. Listen, uh, don't, don't insert yourself uh, unless asked. Um, don't, you know, you're there to learn uh, from the experiences of others, experiences that are different than yours. And, and if, you, if you try and bring your, your experiences into that, you're distracting from their experience. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's really uh, to listen and learn and, and don't use your privilege to dominate or, or try and take over the conversation. I mean, we had, this was a big part of our, our anti-racism conference. Um, you know, I'm a white man. I, I, talk, I like to talk. I, I can dominate a conversation like nobody's business. Um, and one of the things I had to learn is sit down and shut up. These people have experiences that you don't have. Mm -hmm. And you also need to realize that their experience is just as valid. I think whiteness teaches us that other people's, you know, whiteness teaches us that other humans aren't as val valuable as us. So therefore their experiences aren't as valuable as us. Everybody's experiences are real. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're all different humans who experience different things in life. And, and they all, they were all real. Um, so, so, you know, you really need to open up and listen and, and, and be open, particularly to things that, that might not make sense, but rather than say, Hey, that doesn't make sense, you know, sit there and be quiet and then think about why it doesn't make sense. And is that them or is that something in you, you know, because your viewpoint is also unique and, and, and it gives you a, a certain view of the world. And you might need to let that go to really understand what they're trying to teach you. Mm -hmm. That's great. I love that. Cause I mean, unless, unless you're like clicking the like button or like, and maybe that's it. You just, cause I, I, I want to say like, Oh, you should say that's so interesting. Tell me more, but it's also not the job of black people to educate white people about race. Like, it's the kind of thing they've been doing and doing and doing and doing and hearing so much ridiculousness from white people. I, I do my best to try not to be a burden on, on black people and, and people of color. Um, yeah. And so when you react to something and you're like, absolutely not, that's not me. That's the exact time to turn inward and know that it is about you, like that you have done those things and it is your job to then go read the book not to ask someone else to tell you exactly what it's all about. Um, that's so Use helpful. The Google. I'm sorry. Use the Google. Use the Google. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, what, um, tell us a little bit about your, your Facebook group. You have this awesome Facebook group and you called it a little one, but it's not, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's, um, you know, that's an interesting thing too, because I have, 1200 1100 facebook friends i think maybe 50 of them join my group yeah <clears throat> and you know and i talk about this and i've actually been 
at talking about it more on my Facebook wall versus my group because I'm kind of, you know, I created the group and I put something on my wall to invite people in. And then I would take my conversation over to the group. Um, I've been posting back on my wall because I'm like, y'all aren't seeing it over there. But, you know, I posted a picture, posted a picture of me and my girlfriend got a hundred likes, posted something about COVID and, 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 whiteness and and some things and like gets like five likes and, and two comments so you know obvious people are avoiding the discussion but but i've actually been taking it more on my on my public wall because i'm trying to reach more people and it's like you know if you don't like it there's an unfollow button over there but i'm not going to stop I but, saw that. but mostly mostly i use it to, to try and share things that i learn articles or, or podcasts or something that I find is worth it has taught me something I like to share it there um, encourage other people to to read it or watch it or listen and 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 discuss it so it's great I've gotten a I'm I'm a member of it and I have my own group as well but um they're very similar but but uh there's I think you get some pretty good interaction in the group but it's hard because you're like I have to use what the tools that I have. Like you live in a rural part of North Carolina and you can't, social media is your outlet. It is your, it's your, one of the things we learned on our retreat is our like, use your spheres of influence. Where do you have power? Um, and, and that's what you use. So um, it can be tough. Yeah, I'll post something on Instagram and it'll get like one like, but, but then people will tell me after the fact, particularly like people of color, they'll be like, thank you for the work you're doing. They haven't liked it, they haven't clicked, they haven't commented, but they're seeing it. And so other, I, I, I hope, I believe that other people are seeing at least that it exists. And I think it's really brave that you broke onto your regular group because it's hard. It's like, well, what if people don't like me? Or what if people will unfollow? Or what if it hurts people's feelings? And I think about that professionally. I'm a meditation teacher. People didn't sign up for my email list to hear about racism. And the first time I posted about it, I was like, I won't post about this anymore. I just wanted to like, just like talk a little bit about this thing that I went through this weekend. And then afterwards, like a few months later, I was like, I want to just apologize for apologizing because this is who I am, you know, and if these people don't want to learn to meditate for me or don't think that my opinion is valuable anymore, then I have to let that, let that fear go because it's that's not what's important. Um, and then when you and I have a choice to like put ourselves out there or not, you know, like that's the privilege of being white. Um, well, and it, it, that's part of my privilege too. I'm retired. I don't, I don't have a business. You know, I've had people literally, you know, when I do make it down to Atlanta or something and I go on a group ride and I see some friends I haven't seen along, I've had a couple people literally come up and say, thank you for speaking out. I can't. They run a bike shop or something. Mm -hmm. they can't alienate a large group of their customers. It's their livelihood. You know, I don't have those burdens. Yeah. I, that's part of, of what I came to the realization. I'm like, you, you have this privilege, you have the ability. It's not going to harm you in any way other than maybe in your personal relationships, but I'm not going to lose any money over because I speak out. I'm not going to lose any customers. So I, I do see myself as, a, as pretty much in a, in a very almost unique position to really be able to speak out without mm -hmm. any burden other than my personal burden, which, you know, 
and to me, I see it as my responsibility to try and use my privilege to make some positive change. Yeah. Rather than rather than use it to skate through life, which I pretty much did for 55 years. So. What are some of the best books you would recommend for people who want to learn more about systemic racism, whiteness, privilege, all those things? Um, well, uh, bef before, even before, other than books, there's a podcast uh, from the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University called uh, Seen on Radio. Okay. Um, and their second uh, season two years ago was called Seeing White. It's 14 episodes, about 10 hours total. Um, and it, it goes, it covers everything. It covers the creation of whiteness in the colonial days and the use and the creation of laws to distinguish between groups of people, walks through the creation of the country, goes through the Civil War, Reconstruction, you know, the, the justice system, everything. And it is absolutely eye-opening and, and does a really good job of pretty much encompassing everything I've read in all the other books. Okay. Um, as, as far as just, it, it will really open your eyes and allow you to see that, that which we are taught not to see. Um, and I would say follow-up, particularly for guys, season three was called Men. Oh. And, and it, addresses, it addresses misogyny, which is all part of whiteness. Um, and this season, which is still ongoing, I think they, they're getting ready to drop episode 10, is called The Land That Has Never Been Yet, which is a line from the Langston Hughes poem. And, it's, and it takes an honest look at our history of, of what we call democracy. Um, and and it's, the, it's, it's, it's very eye-opening because I, I like to say we, we were taught his story, right? We weren't taught history. Mm -hmm. We were taught his story, the story of our past written by the white man with all the money and all the power. Bill Barr actually said it last week. He said, doing? the winners write history, so we'll see what it says. Oh. That's a quote, not quite word for word, but he literally said that just last week. Somebody, I think somebody asked him about what history will say about what he's doing or what the president's doing. He says, well, the winners write history, so we'll see. I mean, if that's, that doesn't, I mean, you know, it's like they're saying the quiet part out loud now. They're not even hype. Yeah. So. Um, that's also very eye-opening, you know, and it talks about how, how uh, freedom and democracy aren't, aren't necessarily real, particularly, certainly not for a lot of groups of people, uh, but the whole concept of that and how that's been used to kind of control things. I mean, it's a tool of whiteness. Democracy is a tool of whiteness. I mean, that, that, that's the one thing I've come down to is everything can be explained Everything you look at in the world that says this is messed up, it can pretty much be explained by, by this social construct that some people are better than others. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and it all comes back to that. I mean, like gun laws, like Second Amendment, gun rights or white rights. Always has been. I was just reading, I, I read it, you know, in, in Jack Owen's book about uh, the birth of a white nation. You know, there were laws that literally, back before 1681, there were no laws distinguishing different groups of people. There were African people, landowners, free African people, intermarriage. Um, 
And it, and it wasn't until Bacon's Rebellion where, where a bunch of poor indentured white and poor white people and, and, and Africans got together to, to fight and against the moneyed interests that they started passing laws that literally created separation among these groups of humans and elevated one above the other. Um, and so it, 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 it is, is it, it's just eye-opening stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so I, I, I just that scene on radio. All three seasons—they're all related. Yeah. Um, and, and so those are just those are just incredible. Um, other books, you know, Crystal's book that we used uh, for our class, "How to Be Less Stupid About Race." I love her. I love the way she talks about low racial IQ. Mm-hmm. White people have low racial IQ. We are literally raised to be. They're race neutral, and and society allows us to not have to deal with race. So therefore, we suck at talking about it. So we have a low racial IQ. So that's that's my goal is try and raise people's racial IQ. Yeah. Because yeah. you can't fix something that you're unable to see. So so we raise people's ability to see this. They will see it. Hopefully, they won't like it, and won't revel in it and instead want to change it. Um, so that's a great book. I just recently read How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi, another great book. So, um, uh, so you want to talk about race, Ezioma Luo. Uh, that was, that, I read that before Crystal's book. They're very similar. Uh, and, and another thing too, is in reading both of those books, um, and particularly Crystal, she has a PhD in sociology from Harvard, and she talks about it wasn't until she got out of school and started working with people on the outside that she even understood a lot of what she ends up writing about, mm-hmm. about race. Because, because the educational system, it doesn't teach you this stuff. It actually actively avoids teaching you this. Yeah. So, so yeah. she had a, 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 a doctorate from Harvard and, 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 you know, admits in her book, she was pretty much ignorant when she graduated. And that's eye opening stuff. Even, Mm -hmm. even those affected by it, you know, have to, have to, have to do a lot of work to really understand this stuff. Yeah. And, and Ken, anti-racist, he talks about the concept of dueling consciousness, which you, you know, this as you've read the book, but basically um, this sense of like, like I want to get better by being more like white people versus the sense of like, I'm amazing just as I am. And there's that like whole like dueling consciousness within a lot of, I, I can't say all black people. I, I can't speak for, for any black person, but from what he was saying that that's very prevalent. Um, and that he himself was super, super racist because he, when he first started, you know, his, his, debate thing he did in high school or whatever, talking about how black people need to just be better. And if they would just behave better and stop doing drugs and stop black on black crime, then they'd be better. And, and looking back for him, realizing that that itself is racist because it's that mentality that black people should be more like white people in order to be better. And that's a construct. As well, whiteness, about. whiteness equals power, you know, whiteness equals privilege. Yeah. Um, I always say whiteness is a hell of a drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a it's a powerful lure. 
Yeah. You know, and, and it's, you know, and the, the one thing you learn with whiteness in, in reading these books is, is the definition of whiteness has changed. It's constantly changing. You know, the Irish didn't used to be white. The Jewish people didn't used to be white. But it seems the more diverse we become, the more that door opens to allow other light-skinned groups to attach themselves to whiteness. Mm -hmm. I read something not too long ago talking about how the majority of like fourth, fifth generation Latinos identify as white now. And and they're accepted, you know, because we got to keep the majority somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, right? Um, So... Th- that whole construct, but, but it's certainly, it's a powerful magnet, you know, people aren't stupid, they look around and they, they see what, what whiteness provides, you know, then you end up with Candace Owen and Diamond and Silk, you know, they're, they're using whiteness to get ahead, and, you know, in a lot of ways, you can't really, you know, blame them, sometimes it's easier to get along than to fight. Right, right, exactly, exactly, and it, I think it's, there's there's so much to realize of what is taught to be good even like like african-american or black dialects that those are somehow not as good as our proper english but we have totally morphed and and changed english from its actual original form ourselves but because we because white people did it it's okay somehow that makes it i mean it's just like or those people with southern accents Right, exactly. Yes, I know, I know. And I am, I, I spent my whole life in the South. I grew up in Atlanta since I was two months old, but I was raised by Canadians, so I don't have a strong accent. But yeah, and I love Southern accents. I think they're great. But when, when I'm gonna, when I'm gonna like judge someone, I'm gonna probably, you know, like, do you, do you fit the like make America great again profile? of whatever for me to judge you and think that I'm a better human being. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's crazy, but like, that's what happens inside my, and it happens inside everyone for inside everyone's brains. But most people were taught so much to pretend like we're not doing that. So that was, we know it's wrong, but we're like almost denying that our brains do that. And that's the de- denying that the racism is the very air that we breathe and, and the systemic the, the, the systemic nature of racism and so we're like no 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 i don't think that i don't think that no 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 but like it's until we recognize that and acknowledge that i don't think there's any way to move forward because it's always going to be like that's what other people think and that's what other people do well and i fit that demographic and i've had people you know say things to me thinking i think like them yeah right i'm, I'm a southern white guy i must think like that yeah yeah. Then they, they then they then they learn that I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's and it's funny, like my brain did that even though I, we were all signed up for this anti-racism retreat. My brain still did that. Like I just couldn't conceive of a world where someone who wasn't exactly like me would think the way, but like I don't want you shouldn't want to think the way I thought back then. Like I was I was ignorant, you know? I'm still ignorant. I'm working on it. But it's just it's so funny to me the way our brains work and like compartmentalize so that we're not as bad as other people. Like it's it's within it's even within whiteness. It's even within that that echelon of what you know white people being in power, even within that there's this this uh, this tendency to do that. Um, 
All right. Well, thank you so much for, for allowing me to pick your brain a little bit and for um, sharing all of your knowledge. Greg, one of the things that impresses me about you is, I, I mean, you recommended uh, um, dying of whiteness to me a, a year ago, probably. And I think you had not just read it, but you still remember like specifically the, the three parts and what he studied in each part. You have a very good like ability to grasp knowledge and, and um, statistics. So whenever I'm looking for, for that kind of stuff, you're, you're the person I turn to because you can remember that stuff very well and my brain doesn't retain knowledge very well. So um, you have such a great knowledge and um, kind of like you're a reference point, I think, for, for white people who are looking to learn more. I highly suggest joining Greg's group. Um, can we talk about race? Um, and do your do your own searching, but he's a really good reference. So thank you so much for, for chatting with me today. Um, anything, any last words you want to share with any um, anyone who's made it this long on the interview? No, thanks for listening. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, good seeing you again. Um, like I said, I make it down to Atlanta a good bit. So, you know, maybe when we feel safe, we can actually get together and talk in person. Yeah. Uh, look forward to that. And uh, like I said, uh, I have a group, it's open, called Can We Talk About Race? It's under my name, Greg Schisla. Uh, it's open to anybody, it's mostly people I know, you know, my friends who have chosen to join, uh, but they have invited some other people that I don't know in real life that have joined. Um, the more the merrier, I've actually, like I said, it hasn't been real active lately because I've been posting most of my thoughts on the, the regular wall. Um, but uh, there's a lot of good threads in there, uh, references to uh, Twitter threads, uh, other articles online, educational things that I've stumbled across and other people share things that they see too. So mostly it's, it's kind of a, a conglomeration point for people to share. If they learn something new, share it with the group so other people can share it too. Um, and love to have you and thanks for listening. Awesome. And I'll put the link to that Facebook group in the, in the show notes. This is interviews on, on YouTube. So I'll, I'll put the link to that for people who want to go. Um, All right. Check that out. All right, my friends, stay safe and healthy. And um, I'll be seeing you on the, on the interwebs. All right. All right. Take care. Is this about me? Am I making this about me? Because um, a lot of people love to do that, don't they? Love to see something on TV and throw themselves into it and act like they have a dog in that fight, and they don't. Yeah. But they want to be hurt, want to be a victim. Sometimes it's best to just be an observer. And that's the best place to be sometimes. Like, Obviously, if something happens, you know, that's, that's an injustice and you need to speak up about it and you witnessed it and things like that and speak up, of course, but sometimes it's okay to just see someone wearing a bandana or a dashiki or whatever.
and let them live. I don't know. I'm like, I'm hearing you, but I'm also like, but I'm assuming you mean a white person wearing a dashiki or a bandana, yes? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's context matters, right? Who, what, when, yeah. why? But like, yeah. I still want that, I still, as a white person hearing you say that, I'm still like, yeah, but if they're doing that in a way that's like appropriating or, or, or harmful, like the experience of the, of the person, their experience of that, I think, I want to give validity to that whether or not they should or shouldn't let them let it just go. It's like that repeated time after time after time trauma that 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 affects how you see something that may just be a white person wearing a dashiki. You know what I mean? So I, I do want to, from my perspective, like yours is obviously yours, but I think from my perspective as a white person, for any white person listening, I do want to be clear that like. If, 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 a, if, if someone who's black responds to something and you're like, it, it doesn't feel like congruent with what you're doing. Right. Always remember there's a history that comes before that. And then it's also probably true that you're doing something that's, that's, that's ignorant. You know what I mean? So I just, I want to, I do want to put that out there. No, no. I, and I understand completely. I think I, I, I do get what you're saying. Um, and kind of looking off for someone to sign off on what exactly is what. Going back to what Drake said, if you say you're down, you got to show me. Yeah. You need, people need, certain people in whatever it is you're doing, you have to be visible in those communities. Um, that's going to allow you, it's going to give you a pass, right? That's your ticket in. <laughs> you know, if, if, if this is your first time in this neighborhood and you just showed up and you're saying all this, you know, pump your brakes. Whoa. Yeah. You know, because I need to see your resume. You know, what, what, what were you doing one, two, three years ago or five weeks ago? Because now when you show up like this, we can pull your resume and go, oh, oh, that's, that's Julia. Oh my God, like, stop. Like, we know her. Yeah. What you have is people on the other side when they're appropriating it, they're doing things without any sort of representation. They have no connection to it. It's just superficial. It's temporary. It looks good on my Instagram. <laughs> and that's as far as it goes. And black people are very, and people of color are very good at sniffing that out, you know, and going, that's genuine and that's not. So if you're doing it from a place of real love and you have skin in the game, do it because black people aren't haters. They're really not. You can go into a black club right now, a black church. Nobody's going to turn you around. Yeah. Like, that's not how that's going to go. You show up at a barbecue. Like, if you're cool, you're cool. Yeah. It's not always the same way the other way around. Because you, yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, this has been awesome. I feel like we could go on all day. Um, yeah. But thank you so much, um, Nick, for for having the. You know, these are this is stuff that people need to hear, and. And, and saying the things that need to be said and, and sharing, sharing your view on the world and what you've experienced and, and um, how we can all start to be better. I just, I think, you know, it's very inspiring. And, and I've, I've, I learned so much from all of these interviews, but in different ways, which I love. And I think, you know, before the interview, we weren't exactly sure where we were going to go with the interview. And um, I think it's, I think it's great because there's like a lot of questions that people have 
it's like, well, how do I like do this, but not be in the wrong. And I like what you're saying. You just need to like, if your authenticity is there, it's going to come through. Mm-hmm. And um, your way to show that you're down is not to like, I was just thinking about, I like, my boyfriend likes heavy metal, some metal. He likes all types of music. And I'm not really a metal fan, but I went to this one concert with him and I wore like a red shirt or something. And he was like, oh, you have to wear all black to these shows. And I'm like, so I did like, you know what I mean? I, I ended up there and I was wearing a bright color and everyone else was wearing black. And I kind of wish I had known beforehand, but it's like, I have to change myself to try to fit into this thing that I'm not to go and be part of it. And why can't I just show up as yeah. myself and not look like I'm a metal person? I'm so not a metal person at all. You know, like I barely tolerated being there. Like here, the music was like fine, but like, so it's just interesting. Like even, even non-racial, like, is, like that's kind of like a white culture kind of place. And um, even in that, there's this like lack of authenticity that people think they have to look or be a certain way in order to partake in something. And I just said, like, I'm going to be thinking about this all weekend. So thank you. Thank you so much for, for all sharing your insights and your knowledge. Um, how can people find you? You have a podcast. So talk about that. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But no, no. Find you and, and learn from you. Okay. Well, yeah, first, first thing. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, so, I'm so glad we can have these, these conversations uh, and, and be open being as, as open as we are. Um, you know, I, I really, that's a real treat for me um, because, you know, we're kind of figuring it out as we're going and yeah. feeling all the, the nerves yeah, <laughs> I don't it out there. Um, but I do have a podcast, right? Uh, it's called Finding Nicholas. Uh, it's available on Apple Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, all those different uh, platforms. Um, I'm on Instagram at Teacher in Your Pocket. I'm on YouTube at Teacher in Your Pocket. Uh, I have a couple books online on Amazon, uh, one designed for teachers and others for like young adults, teens. And all those links are like contained uh, um, on my different handles, I guess, but my website, nicklanders.squarespace.com. Um, you can find it there and you can book me or whatever you want to do. But yeah, you know, I, this was fun. Awesome. awesome. I'm just making all these notes. So I'll be sure to include them. Um, Nick, thank you again. Have an awesome weekend. And um, I know our conversation will continue in, in different ways. So um, thanks again for, for joining me. Awesome. Thank you, Joe.